turn with me to John chapter 17. We looked at point number one this morning, and uh, we're going to look at uh, point two and three, so you Teasdales didn't miss out on uh, uh, too much of the message, uh, but uh, at least uh, get two-thirds of it in uh, this evening. We're talking about marks of a church. Uh, we're talking about the local church. We're talking about a church uh, that's the body of Christ in this location. What should be of the marks of this church? Now, the New Testament uh, calls Christians saints. I said that this morning, that we're saints. Now, is that the New Orleans saints? No, it's not the New Orleans saints. Uh, is it the saints made up of the Roman Catholic Church? No, it's not the saints of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, the misuse of that term for a certain select group of people in the past, recognized by papal canonization, uh, has served to water down the character of Christians. And I've heard people who claim to be Christians, and uh, they excuse their poor evidence of godly character, and they say, well, I'm no saint. Well, really? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. But some of us, uh, I hope all of us here tonight, are sinners saved by grace. And if you're saved, then you become a saint. You become a saint. The Bible teaches that if you're not a saint, you're not a Christian. Now, even at Corinth, a church considered to be on the low end of holy living, Paul declares that they are saints by calling. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2, he says, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. To them that are sanctified, there's that word we looked at this morning, sanctified in Christ, called to be saints. And the effectual call of God upon a sinner sets him apart as a saint, a holy one. Now, that may be kind of unnerving for some people, but it's Bible truth. And it's a Bible truth that needs to be understood. While God calls us saints, we may admit that our behavior is often lacking saintly qualities. We may be saints by name, but sometimes we struggle to be saints in practice. Uh, this is where the biblical teaching of sanctification becomes so, so important. Uh, in sanctification, the Holy Spirit continually works upon those who have been justified by faith in Christ to develop them into the personal and practical holiness for every area of life, not just your Sunday go-to-meeting life. That means your Monday through Saturday life as well. He's turning us into saints in our character, in our conduct. Now, we are living in a world full of rebellion, sin, antagonism toward God, uh, doesn't uh, really care to hear the gospel, and yet we're never to be living as though we belong to the same spirit of the world. And sanctification ensures that we continue on in our spiritual development. We grow in the Lord. We resemble more and more our Redeemer. And we resemble Him in our character, our conduct, even though we are still in the world. Now, the text here declares that Jesus Christ not only justified us by his work, he also sanctifies us. We're looking at John 17, and we looked at verse 17 this morning. Sanctify uh, them through thy tr uh, truth. Thy word is truth. 
And then in verse 19, we talked about verse 18 last Sunday, but in verse 19, it says, For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Uh, it was Paul that reminded Titus uh, uh, to, that Christ gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And Peter uh, then rang a similar note in his first epistle, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. First Peter 2.24. And it's been said about these and similar passages, if words mean anything, They teach that Christ undertakes the sanctification no less than the justification of his believing people. Now, having looked at the meaning this morning of just uh, sanctification, uh, we need to go on and understand the certainty of it and how we can be sure that every believer will be sanctified. And then along with this, we're going to consider the God-given means of sanctification. Uh, How does sanctification continue? And let's uh, uh, just set our thoughts on these matters this evening and deal with them in this life and the life to come. Notice we talked about the meaning this morning, the relationship to or the relation to justification, a relation to the whole Christian life, and then the relation to eternity. And so we come to... Number two, the certainty of sanctification. It seems there are a few things that are certain anymore in life. Probably all of us would probably give an experience upon experience in those things we knew that would transpire for us, but they did not happen. Uh, we've all faced disappointments. Uh, these disappointments were due to what seemed to be certainties falling through. Now, here, according to the word of God, this is a certainty you can count upon. If you are redeemed by Jesus Christ, justified by Christ, through faith in him, you will surely be sanctified. The scripture doesn't leave any room for doubt about this, nor does it allow for exceptions. Christ redeemed us for the purpose of setting apart a people for himself who might live distinctly as children of God in this depraved world. And here in our text, verses 17 and 19, it explains the certainty of our sanctification. Notice, first of all, prayer, the prayer of Christ. Of course, we're talking about the prayer of Christ all the way through uh, John chapter 17. And we've been studying this great intercessory prayer uh, of Jesus for those who he redeemed. He was specifically praying for his disciples, his, uh, uh, those who were with him. But by extension, this is extended to praying for us. And we notice that there were particular matters that he addressed uh, to the Father uh, on our behalf. He prays for us to be kept by the Father. Uh, that's our security for all eternity. He prays for the fullness of joy in our lives and holiness in our walk. Now he prays, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Very simplistic uh, uh, text here. Very simple in the words of this prayer. It's not a suggestion that Christ is making to the Father. Uh, You know, sometimes we kind of 
We make suggestions when we pray. God, would you be pleased to do this or that? And we ask him, we kind of maybe sometimes come fearfully and uh, with trepidation and we say, you know, it'd be good, Lord, if this would happen or that would happen. But here Jesus is praying with great authority. And the use of uh, the, the words here show that it's a non-negotiable uh, uh, with the Lord. Uh, so many Christians spend time praying about uh, things that really don't matter. You ever found yourself doing that? Praying about things that really, you know, if it goes one way or the other, wouldn't make any difference? But here, Jesus is focusing the energy of his prayer upon the, a few very essential areas of life. And it's an imperative. It's, it's imperative that we be sanctified. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of its importance. Uh, he says in Hebrews 12, 14, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Well, that makes it pretty serious. It's been pointed out that sanctification is the only certain evidence of that indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is essential to salvation. Romans 8, 9 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. And if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And so our Lord's prayer was not one of ignorance concerning the will of God. He knew what we needed. He knew what the Father demanded. Jesus always prayed in the will of God. He had the assurance of all his prayers being answered because they always lined up perfectly with the will of the Father. Sometimes we struggle at this point because we are viewing the praying of Jesus with our praying. We're looking at the way we pray. And that's not the way Jesus was praying. Often we have a low view of prayer. It's kind of an afterthought sometimes. Oh yeah, I need to pray. Or I forgot to pray. I need to do that. And then we come up with this sort of wish list but it's never really a matter of certainty. Jesus Christ, on the other hand, was not just giving a casual wish list to the Father. No, he was praying authoritatively as our great high priest and with certain confidence, whatever he asked the Father would do. He asked the Father to sanctify us who have believed. He had the confidence that the Father would do this. Now remember how the Lord told his disciples as they prayed to the Father. They asked in his name back in John chapter 16. We looked at that there. And we saw in the study of the word that to pray in Christ's name is to pray with the authority, asking according to God's will. It's not just in Jesus' name. It's not just something we tack on at the end of our prayers. It's praying with the image of Christ stamped upon the prayer. It's pray in his name and it's to pray his prayers. It's prayers that are always going to be answered by the Father. And so the very fact that he prayed, sanctify them through thy truth, assures us that the Father will do it. And that's why sanctification really is the evidence that we have been justified. For if you have one work, you will also have the other. They go together. Just as the Father will keep those who are in Christ for all of eternity, he's going to sanctify them as well. We have the blessed assurance of that because... Christ prayed for it to take place. Secondly, notice the provision of Christ. 
the certainty of our sanctification is twofold. First, Christ prayed for our sanctification, and we know that his prayers are always answered. Second, Christ sanctified himself so that we might be sanctified. Look at verse 19 again. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through thy truth, or through the truth. Now, what did Jesus mean by sanctifying himself? Well, in knowing the character of Jesus Christ, we can know that uh, he could not add to his holiness, could he? He was already perfect. He couldn't add anything to his holiness. God is infinitely holy. And so there are no deficiencies in his character, nor failings in his conduct. There was never the least hint of sin or disobedience or impurity in the Lord. It's obvious that Jesus is using the term, I sanctify myself, to refer to a very specific act of setting apart rather than an improvement in his moral condition. Setting apart himself to the Lord. And so this again points to the subject of the earlier portion of this prayer where Jesus referred to having finished the work which thou gavest to me to do in verse 4. It was the suffering of the cross and the glory of the resurrection for which he would set himself apart. He would sanctify himself. And that is he set himself apart willingly and freely for the work of redeeming sinners. And notice he prays, for their sakes I sanctify myself. It was not for him, but for us that he sanctified or set himself apart to face the humiliation of the crucifixion. Christ's suffering was vicarious. That is, it was on our behalf or for our sakes. He left heaven to be clothed in humanity in the incarnation of our sakes, for our sakes. And he fulfilled the law and all the righteousness for our sake. He faced shame and humiliation and suffering for our sake. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet he remained without sin for our sake. He endured the agony of bearing our sin in his own body on the cross and being separated from the Father because of the repulsiveness of his condition as a sin bearer, again, for our sake. He faced the eternal and infinite measure of suffering under the weight of divine wrath towards sinners for our sake. He bore the agony of hell we deserve for our sake. He remained in the grave three days for our sake. He arose from the dead by the glory of the Father for our sake. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father and continued interceding for us as our great high priest again for our sakes. Why did he do all this? And for their sakes I sanctify myself. Why? That they also might be sanctified through the truth. Apart from what Christ did, we have no sanctification. This shows the essential marriage of justification and sanctification through the work of Christ. And our Lord removed the enmity, uh, the enmity between us and God through the sacrifice of his own life. There's a consciousness that develops in the believer that enmity has been removed so that there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, as it tells us in Romans 8.1. And by the act on our behalf, he redeemed us. He paid the eternal debt of our sin as a part of the fallen race of humanity so that we might be free from the curse that fell upon Adam and upon all of his heritage. 
He not only redeemed us from the bondage under the elements of the world, but he adopted us as his sons. So the Spirit has been sent forward into our hearts, and we cry, Abba, Father. The sons of God. Our sanctification is simply living out our sonship in God's family. (coughs) Now, let's look secondly, or third, secondly tonight, but the third point is the means of sanctification. The means of sanctification. Now, we know that we are justified through no contribution on our part. Our justification comes wholly through the righteousness of Christ. Remember, I said this morning, justification is our standing before God. Sanctification is a work that the Holy Spirit does in and through us, you know, and we can work hard, do everything right before God, and not add one speck of justification. But that's not true to, uh, concerning our sanctification. Justification is complete and whole in and through Christ. Sanctification begins in Him, continues by the work of the Spirit, along with our work as well. The righteousness we have by our justification is not our own. But the everlasting perfect righteousness of a great mediator, Christ, imputed to us and made our own by faith. The righteousness we have by sanctification is our own righteousness imparted and worked out in us by the Holy Spirit. Now, again, justification is finished. It's complete. Sanctification is an imperfect work. It's an ongoing work. Anyone in here tonight perfect yet? No, don't raise your hand or else you just made yourself imperfect. No, we're all still a work in progress. Every one of us. And so we'll never be perfected until we reach heaven. And so our sanctification is made clear here in our text. Sanctify them, set them apart from sin unto me through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now, if there were no other passages that dealing with the truthfulness of God's word than this one, this one would be enough. For the very certainty of our sanctification without uh, which we cannot see the Lord is dependent upon the truth of his word. And while there are many things that help us in our Christian lives, the one thing that our Lord states to be the means of our sanctification is God's word. Now, does that mean that reading God's word is important? It certainly does. Does that mean that studying God's word is important? It certainly does. Meditating on it, memorizing it, hearing it preached. Are those things important? Well, if your sanctification's worth anything, it's certainly worth that. How does the word of truth sanctify us? Well, first of all, it's within the realm of truth. When our Lord speaks of truth, he's referring to something that is identifiable. You know, there are many things that we consider to be truths in the natural life, the realm of life. I, if I stood on the, uh, if I got a ladder and stood on the end of this building down here, which nobody wants to get up there to fix that light because it's so high. <laughs> but if I stood on the top of the building and I took a step 
toward the highway, it is a truth that I would rapidly fall to the ground. If I said that I believed I could be suspended in midair, it might be my belief, but it wouldn't be the truth. Now, if I did the same thing, but I was standing on the edge of the International Space Station, if I did the same thing, I was there and I would not descend, but I would be suspended in space. My location would dictate the limitations of that truth for the natural realm. But here our Lord is not speaking of truths in the natural order of the world. He's speaking of something much greater, something eternal, unchanging, always true in all situations, in every circumstance, all locations. He says, thy word is truth. And it identifies precisely what Jesus Christ meant when, as our means of sanctification. Now, we are most blessed of all people on the earth, for we have the truth of God recorded for us and available for us to read and to hold in our hands tonight. We have the Bible, God's Word. That ought to thrill your heart. Don't take it for granted that you have God's Word in your hand. The Bible is the revelation of God to man. It does not simply contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It's not the Bible plus the Book of Mormon. It's not the Bible plus the Koran. Nor is it the Bible plus someone's personal revelations from God, which is truth. No, it is the Bible and nothing more, nothing less that it is the truth of God. I'm amazed at people, even some claiming to be Christians, who think that we need something more than what God has given to us in the Bible. How can we add to something that's perfect? Have we even begun to fathom the depths of its wisdom, the storehouse of knowledge? Have we even come close to understanding all that it reveals about God, the way He works? the ways of God, the fullness of His character, have we grasped all is meant even in the first four words of the, of the book? What are the first four words? In the beginning, God. It is this book that is the means of our sanctification. But specifically, it's the whole truth which we can identify in God's Word that becomes the instrument he uses to sanctify us. It's not just a few verses in the Bible. Now, we might have a few favorite verses. We just love that verse. Boy, that's a great verse. But it, and we're, Or we might like a book or a chapter here or there. It's not just a few areas of the Bible, but it's the whole counsel of God's Word that's necessary for our sanctification. The Bible is not to be viewed as a novel. Or as a history book, it's the book of truth. The book of the truth. It is as we begin to read the word of God and listen to the word of God, and discuss the word of God and meditate upon the word of God that its truths begin to sink into our minds and our hearts. And that, that's when we begin to see it's not just a great book, but it's the truth of God. 
It's a truth which we find ourselves applying constantly and living in daily. I would propose to you that many Christians, without realizing it, say they believe the Bible to be the Word of God, but they have very much or very little, give a li- very little attention to it. You believe this is the, the Word of God? Yes, I believe that. How much have you read it? How much have you studied it? How much are you letting it affect your life? How many verses have you memorized? How many uh, uh, doctrinal uh, issues have you found there? And people fail to grip the reality that it is truth. The Bible is true, they would say, but is it truth? Has its life-giving message so consumed my thoughts and my minds that I realize I cannot live without this book? And I dare not even try to live without it. My great longing, my passion ought to be filled with, to be filled with this truth. Letting it sink deeply into my life and producing the wonderful fruit of righteousness. And so we understand the Bible to be truth when we take the time to read and to study it and to listen to it. And we will properly interpret it. And if I read a passage from God's word but interpret it wrongly... My wrong interpretation is not truth. The truth Bible is truth, but my incorrect interpretation is not. So I may change my views. I may amend my lifestyle. I'll go through all sorts of new practices based upon my incorrect interpretation of the Scripture. I may even be very satisfied. Hey, I'm doing the right thing. I used a Bible verse for why I'm doing this. But are you, do you have the right verse for it? Do you have the right interpretation for it? You may find great fulfillment in it, but you may be deceiving yourself. You may be staking your life on incorrect interpretations, and it does not satisfy you in the truth. So we must not only read it and study it and listen to it and meditate upon God's word, but we must also seek to rightly divide the word of truth, as it says in 2 Timothy 2.15. Let's give all diligence in this matter. The truth of God's word will teach us more of what Christ has done for us so that our faith is strengthened, our stand against Satan is solidified, our joy is made full. The truth of the word will instruct us in those things which we are to refrain from. And they'll also instruct us, on the other hand, what to pursue. I don't believe that I'm being simplistic in stating that the epistles, for the most part, give us instruction for truth of our sanctification, along with the Gospels as well. It just seems that the intent of so many of the letters, the epistles to the, uh, to the believers in, uh, would ground the believer in the truths of the Gospel. Instructs them in the practice of godliness in their sanctification. You just read first Corinthians, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and And many of them, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So that's why we must be people of the word. Cannot be sanctified apart from the word. Now, we also see not only within the realm of truth, but through the revelation of truth. 
We've already seen in our study of back in verses 6 through 8, the truth is revealed to us. It's not simply something we can sit down anytime, um, read in a book, grasp it as truth. It's something that the Holy Spirit manifests to us and drives home to our minds. And that's why our studying of the Word and our hearing of the Word should always be with the utmost seriousness and prayerful attentiveness. We need to be seized by the fact that when the Word of God is read and expounded, God is speaking to us through His Word. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. And the word truth implies something that can be stated propositionally. It is the content of Christianity as absolute truth. We're not speaking of something that we feel is true. You've heard people say that, I just feel this is true. No. Truth is something that affects your feelings, but we're not referring to something that we feel is true. We're talking about something that can be stated in principles and doctrines and precepts. You can discuss it. You can think about it. You can mull it over. You can write it on a paper. Though sometimes the depths of it, it cannot be expressed with our feeble vocabularies. And so the truth of God's word is being revealed to us as we read it and study it. And then finally, the application of truth. We need not to un- misunderstand here concerning the matter of truth. I'm not speaking of just a academic knowledge. No, I'm speaking of applying the truth to every part of our life. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. First, truth affects our minds and our understanding. We see the biblical pattern in 1 John 3, 3, in which John addresses the whole matter of sanctification with utmost clarity. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And you notice there the mind is affected by our having hope fixed on Jesus Christ. And one day we're going to see him as he is. It is a truth that should grab the mind that a believer's attention is immediately thrust upon Jesus Christ and the glory that he's going to reveal when he returns. The truth affects our minds and understanding, but secondly, the truth affects the mind, then the believer acts. He purifieth himself even as he is pure. Again, that's sanctification. The believer sees truths concerning Christ and says to himself, I must be like that by God's grace. I must seek to lay aside everything that hinders the beauty of Christ in my life. Truth is revealed to the mind so that it affects the will of the believer and he acts, he practices these things in holiness in his life. We're not talking about a complicated process here, though it's not always easy because sometimes we're dull, sometimes we're weak. So many Christians have a bad taste concerning sanctification because they've been under some legalistic teaching that tries to manipulate the will without first affecting the mind with truth. Sometimes those teachers will bombard the will trying to coerce a person into some kind of action. And many times they'll respond, but they cannot respond out of joy and true love for Christ. They respond out of guilt and bondage. Sanctification results from the application of truth in our lives. And so if you're a believer here tonight, then you're going to be uh, sanctified through the truth. 
You're assured of that by the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. His provision through his saving, sanctifying work. But remember, this sanctification is not just a passive thing. You don't just go through life and say, well, I'm being sanctified, I'm being sanctified. You know, it's not passive. It's something that's active. It's an active work by the Spirit of God in our hearts who constantly is applying the Word of God to our lives so that we in turn can understand and apply the Word to our behavior, our conduct, our relationships, our service, our conversation, and we could go on and on from there. And so press on in sanctification. There's no lack of the Spirit's work in this area. You and I must make sure that we're seeking to go on in our spiritual development, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that'll be real Christian living. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for this.